0: Welcome to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Archibald from Western University. As you know, many speech language pathologists in Canada are employed in schools. Their job is to support children with communication disabilities in accessing the curriculum and achieving their academic and personal potential. It's a challenging job. So many schools, so many students, and not many SLPs. Across the country, SLPs are finding unique solutions to providing the best possible services to the students and school teams with whom they work. In this podcast, our guests describe their innovations in school-based speech-language pathology. Thanks for listening as we shine a light on some brilliant projects. Welcome to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools Podcast. Today, uh, I have someone who's so well known to me, a friend of mine who studied in speech language pathology with me, and I'm going to ask her to introduce herself. Helen, please introduce yourself.
1: Hi, my name is Helen Mackay, and I'm a speech language pathologist with the Waterloo Region District School Board. Um, I've been with Waterloo Region District School Board for 18 years and been a speech language pathologist for 34 years.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. (laughs) Hard to believe. Um, All right, so uh, tell us about your school board, uh, its size. Tell us a little bit about the service delivery model that you have there.
1: Sure. Um, So the Waterloo Region District School Board covers the Waterloo region. And um, it uh, serves 64,000 students in 121 schools. So I believe it's one of the larger school boards in Ontario. So that's 105 elementary schools and 16 secondary schools. Our speech language pathology department has 18.6 18.6 FTE, speech-language pathologists, and 8.2 FTE, communicative disorders assistants.
0: All right. And the service delivery model that the board uses uh, uh, in your
1: department? So the majority of, of uh, the speech-language pathologists in our department are what we call school support, SLPs. So they would typically have uh, around uh, six Uh, elementary schools that they're assigned to they would provide tiered support to those um, the students with communication needs in those schools um, focusing on the primary grades but the role that I'm in along with two of my colleagues is uh, supporting and that's so that's 2.3 FTE of, of our SLP allotment um, is supporting our congregated classes that are called ACE classes. ACE stands for Alternative Continuum of Education. And these are classes for students with ASD and or intellectual disabilities. And um, like I said, they're, they're congregated classes. And um, we, we have this 2.3 FTE assigned to support those classes using a consultative model. And we also have uh, one day per FTE SLP of CDA time assigned to us a week. Uh,
0: How many of those classrooms would uh, you be supporting, for example?
1: Right. So we have in our board, we have 86 of these ACE classes, but they have different levels of uh, support needed depending on the student profile. Um, So, we have dedicated SLP and CDA support for the classes that have the students with the highest support needs in them. So, ACE SLPs then would have a caseload of about 26 classes per 1.0 FTE. Um, And then we would also, so that would be dedicated support where we're have ongoing involvement, monthly meetings with the teacher where available to provide consultation for any of the students in that class. And then we would also have a sort of a secondary caseload of about 10 lower support classes, but those ones are for um, what we call office hours and referral support only. I see. Or a lower level of support to those. Yeah. Oh,
0: wow. Um, Great, thank you. And those the positions uh the, the that you're describing uh have been around i think for a long time is that right what would you know how you know what was the decision how did that they come about your right. consultative uh, role
1: so there were i'm um, uh back when i started at the board 18 years ago um that i was hired as one of um Uh, a couple of SLPs who had previous experience working with with children with this kind of profile um, more in community settings and um, the, the board was looking at how can we have a better support model for these congregated classes so they hired at that point it was you know two SLPs And the thought was to provide a team-based support model to these classes. Now, over the years, you know, this has sort of developed and changed to some, you know, to various extent. And the number of classes has grown, you know, so there's been lots of changes. But that was how that position came to be because it was felt that the uh, school SLP supporting a whole school that not only were these classes supported differently in terms of consultants and that type of thing, but also that the needs in the classes were, you know, somewhat unique to this type of class. And the program that was offered was, was uh, different from what a school support SLP would do. And maybe it would be helpful to have some people who focused on this role.
0: Right. Super interesting. So Helen, tell me about the challenges as you've crafted this role and grown it tell me about some of the challenges some of the approach you've taken uh, in that service
1: right and um, yes it's it's always a work in in process um, you know I, I feel like we're always trying to sort of improve on on the model and and respond to challenges you know within the system and within these classes um, I you know like I said this is an exclusively consultative role and there are challenges and opportunities associated with a consultative role. Some of the opportunities are that, you know, you get to have a long-term relationship with the teachers um, in these classes and in some cases with, with the students in the classes. So I have students that, you know, I met in their, kindergarten years, you know, who are, who are still being supported in these ACE classes that I've been able to see develop, you know, over the course of their school career, which is very rewarding. Um, uh, some of the the challenges are around, because you're working through the classroom educators, and this is the teacher and, and however many educational assistants are, are in the classroom, depending on the profiles of the students um, you're 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 constantly trying to engage these educators to to help students develop their communication skills you're working through other adults um, rather than working directly with the students Mm -hmm. so you know it's i think that we have to really recognize that that these classroom educators have multiple priorities and and struggles, and that um, they are the ones that are with the students every day, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, a lot of situations, you know, quite challenging behaviors, care needs, you know, a variety of needs, and that, yes, communication is very important, and of course, it's central to us in our role, um, but we need to understand where these educators are coming from, and we need to tailor our suggestions and recommendations to what might actually work you know for them and and in that case it means we need to spend a lot of time developing a relationship with the with the teacher understanding their program and their priorities whether or not it it you know is necessarily the same as what our priorities would be, and it's mm-hmm. it, it, you know I've come to understand that um, unless you develop this relationship and you understand where the teacher is coming from and meet them where they're at, it's very hard to make progress with you know getting any of your suggestions you know uh, put into place with the students and, and carried out on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, so that's really interesting. how so this this process of finding out what's happening in the, the class, what the program is, how to discover essentially where you can insert your communication goals. How have you gone about that?
1: Right. So we, a lot of our um, direct involvement or direct presence in the classroom is observation. So we spend a lot of time observing in the classroom, which gives you good information about what the teacher's priorities and program look like. And so it's, uh, so observing, we have monthly meetings with the teachers um, to talk about how things are going with the students. So, you know, again, it's another way to develop that relationship and just really trying to develop those lines of communication so that the teacher feels, so that the teacher feels that they want us to be in the classroom to observe that we understand what their, their priorities are for the students and, and that we're prepared to work with them Mm -hmm. to sort of, you know, move the needle forward with communication.
0: Yeah. I'm wondering, uh, Helen, if, if you could create for our listeners a bit of a visual there, like you're in the classroom observing, can you think of a, an actual sort of anecdote about what you might see going on in the classroom and what the little twig in your mind would say, ah, here's where we could really use an, uh, a communication goal that would really help this process or, you know, some sort of sequence like that I'm imagining.
1: Right. So a lot of our classrooms will have like a group learning time, a sort of a circle time or a calendar time or morning meeting as different uh, ways of, of describing it. So often, I'll go in to observe, you know, that part of the day, um, because it tends to be a real highlight for these, these classrooms. And, you know, it's it's obviously lots of communication opportunities involved in that kind of thing. So I would, you know, I would be in, you know, I I try to, um, you know, blend in with the would work a little bit, but also I try to interact with the kids a little bit. It's it's a dance, right? You're trying to find out how to be part of the process, but not be intrusive. Because these, you know, these teams are working together day in, day out in a sort of a closed setting with these students, right? And uh, so it's, yeah, like I said, it's developing that relationship. It's watching. So I would look and see, okay, how does this teacher run their group learning time? And I'm thinking about where are the communication opportunities for particular students within this um, group learning time. So, so looking at, you know, are, are they talking about what they did the night before? Okay. How, what materials do we need so that the students can all individually engage in this process? Are they talking about, the weather and, and calendar seem to come up a lot, you know, how, how again, can we support kids at their level of learning to engage in this uh, activity that um, is going to happen every day in the classroom and, and, you know, potentially be a good learning activity for these kids.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. Right. Really nice. Um, what kind of I'm just wondering, too, about how, you know, you're talking about the relationship with the teachers and them, uh, you know, probably tuning in to communication goals as you're working together. So what kinds of things might they be um, coming to you with about uh, what's happening in their classrooms?
1: Right. A lot of it tends to revolve often and we try to promote our role in the area of of behavior as well. And sometimes it does revolve around behavior. This child is, is, you know, exhibiting maybe challenging behavior um, that might involve aggression. And so, you know, you know, we're, we're trying to think about are there communication solutions to this problem? You know, can we, you know, teach them how to ask for a break instead of, you know, getting up and running out of the classroom or, or, you know, hopefully not, you know, (laughs) being aggressive. So uh, they approach around that type of thing. They also would approach me and, you know, my colleagues who work in this area around um, engagement in academic tasks, because, you know, even though this is an alternative program and it's not leading to a high school diploma, these are still teachers and they're focused on, you know, teaching their, their students uh, functional, you know, early academic skills. So they would approach, approach me around, well, you know, like I I want him to be able to talk about, you know, whether it's using augmentative communication or, or, you know, spoken language about their, um, the book that we're reading or, you know, tell me if I want to know if they know their colors and this type of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a a pretty wide range. It's, it's very um, unique to the, the teacher. So it's all, you know, like I say, it's always this sort of, you know, trying to find out, you know, what, what this teacher is focusing on and work within that, because that's where you're going to get the buy in, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to get the buy in if you come in and say, well, this is what you should be doing about communication.
0: You've mentioned materials as a way of of, of kids accessing the communication. Some things that you might be able to put into place. Can you talk about some things that you've been able to put into place, uh, whether it's spoken language or uh, uh, more augmentative, where that's really worked? They've been able to to really uh, engage with the communication at at a higher level, perhaps, or a more consistent level on a uh, that, you know, in with that student in the classroom.
1: Right. So we do, we are able to access various <clears throat> forms of augmentative communication for these students, both through community clinics that prescribe devices. And also we have within our school board, some <clears throat> ability to access some resources, you know, it's like, again, it's very unique to the the student. Um, we also are continuously developing, you know, paper-based materials. We use low-tech AAC. So again, it really sort of depends on the needs uh, of the teacher, but we try to to work with them on, you know, how much do we need to individualize this for a particular student, and how much can we use maybe, you know, class-wide type. Um, materials that'll support all the students in a particular activity. So sort of activity-based versus, you know, individual student needs. I I find that often we get more buy-in when we focus on Mm activity-based communication, even though that isn't always in line with, you know, the current philosophy around, you know, augmentative and alternative communication being sort of more all encompassing.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So we have tried, we're, we're, we're always trying to think of better ways to sort of address the, the, the needs of these teachers and students, you know, working within the confines of our caseload and, you know, the pressures on our time. So one thing we did put together is a, um, a PD module for teachers in ACE classes, and it's a self-directed PD module. So it, it has a, a recorded transcript and slide deck that they advanced through on their own and uh, we, we, we were really trying to focus on this creating communication opportunities uh, idea and uh, so the, the module has um, the first part is around strategies, how to engage students, find out what motivates them and then the last part is a series of charts based on activities that happen daily in Ace classrooms like active play, you know, encompassing gym and sensory room and outdoor play, uh, group learning, individual desk learning. And we have these charts and, and we're looking at what motivates your student. You know, if your student is motivated by this, then maybe the the communication opportunity might be them saying using AAC or, or spoken language, this And here's some materials and we actually linked in some materials, some paper based materials that uh, they can use for those particular activities and opportunities. So we really try to focus on that creating communication opportunities idea, because, again, that respects, you know, what their program is and how can we fit within it and Mm -hmm. try to develop those Mm -hmm. communication skills. Yeah.
0: You talked about activity-based uh, kinds of uh, materials. Is, is there any thing there that you could describe, create another visual for us that you use, like yours, you know, you find uh, works in, uh, all the time and you, it's your go-to
1: there? So things such as, you know, like, and we'd have to customize these for the, for the teacher in the classroom, but, you know, such as choice boards for, for gym or something like this. So that class goes to gym and there are certain, um, um, you know, pieces of equipment or whatever that are available to the students. And often the teacher has just made these all available and the students just access. And we say, well, could we have a choice board and could we, you know, go into the gym and then, you know, ask the students to choose a piece of equipment because then here we're creating a communication opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, is that sort of pain? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a great one. You said that the CDAs are also working in the classroom. Could you describe some of the work that they might be doing?
1: For one FTE SLP, we would have one day a week of CDA, a time assigned to us. A lot of that might be spent on material preparation Mm -hmm. because we're customizing all these materials for, for individual students in classrooms, but we also, um, try to get the CDAs into the classrooms to demonstrate and coach educators on how to use some of these materials and devices and, and things that the students are using. So that's more sort of hands-on. They go in and we keep, um, trying to refine the model are we really are we looking at demonstration here are we looking at coaching you know all this is working within a an adult education model right Mm -hmm. we're working with the adults to help the students right so it's like you always have to be respectful that these are are adults so Mm -hmm. you know we've experimented with various ways of you know like I say focusing on more demonstration or more coaching and it it, again it's a dance you have to sort of work with that particular educator you know and we try to have when we have the cdas in the classrooms usually it's for a defined you know like three to five sessions over three to five weeks um we try to ask the teacher to rotate the the teacher and the different educational assistants through, you know, so that they all get exposed to this, this demonstration and, mm-hmm. and coaching of, mm-hmm. of, of various techniques and strategies.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, earlier, you you said, I meant to comment at the time, you said, um, uh, to see if it meets the needs of the teacher and student, right? So uh, I like the way you phrase that, right? So, because it's really that dyad. Right, uh, right, that you're trying to impact
1: there. Yes, exactly, and 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 yes, we're working through the the, the teachers and educational assistants to support the students. Mm-hmm. So, in in some senses, it feels like our client is 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 the class the classroom education team, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's um, yeah, but yeah, it's I like I say, to meet the needs of the students.
0: Right, the consultation role is really. Um, doing that right because uh, you're you're impacting the 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 what's happening around that student in order to foster that communication. Right, right.
1: And, you know, the reason, you know, there's a consultation model in place for these students is because we know that students with this type of profile need that daily embedded practice in order to learn skills and move mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. And they need it in the context of familiar routines rather than you know, like me coming out pulling a student working on something, um, you know, in isolation and then trying to transfer that back into the classroom. That doesn't, you know, research has told us tend to work for this type of student. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
0: so there's some students or teachers rather some teachers with whom you've been working a long time I think perhaps and uh all and some who are really great at uh you know really really get it could you describe what uh what you see in t- in uh, there that that where educators are really making this work well
1: Well it's it is it is kind of amazing and like I say this is one of the wonderful things about this role I've found is that you you do see this development in, in a teacher's um interest and you know ability to implement you know communication like it just you know for them to come really to embrace oh communication is a very poor important part of my program and I'm thinking of one t- teacher in particular who um you know, sometimes it's, it's, you know, at the beginning, you know, it really is hard for them to, to focus on communication as a priority. But I'm thinking of this one teacher who has really come to embrace it and she has, you know, she has lots of visuals in her classroom. She has her students making choices, you know, for, all of the various activities that they do every day. And I wasn't, you know, because when you work with someone over years and years, it's sometimes it's harder to see this progress yourself. But I was meeting with a teacher consultant who supports this classroom uh yesterday, and she was saying, Oh, she does so much communicate <clears throat> excuse me, communication support in her classroom. It's so great to see. And I was thinking, you know that's true, and I was thinking back to my early days with this teacher. Not that I'm taking all the credit here; far yeah. from it. It's, the credit goes to the teacher, but um, you know, and just you know, seeing how wonderful it is for to see a teacher in, embrace this. Because, I mean, we're biased. We're we're SLPs, but I really do believe that communication is, you know, one of if not the most important thing we can we can teach these kids because it does impact so many other you know levels of how they function in the classroom and at home and if they're able to communicate their needs you know Mm -hmm. typically life goes better for them and for their caregivers Mm -hmm. so
0: I want to ask you about uh families and if the yeah are you are you coming into contact with the uh other members of of these children's families is there a role there
1: Right. So obviously, we, we need to contact families to get consent to provide this consultation for their child uh, in the school board setting. So we we do contact them and get that consent and and background information. Um, often for these students, there are also community providers, which may include SLPs, either through, you know, developmental services or private SLPs. Um so we would connect with any community providers as possible. Um, so yes, and we do communicate back to the families. You know what our what our suggestions to the teacher are. In ter- you know, in, we're not typically sort of more directly supporting the family. We would you know recommend if they're not already connected that they connect with you know, in our area, we have a SLP attached to the developmental services who can provide in-home consultation. A lot of the kids are receiving, um, autism services. So, you know, through the OAP and, um, and may have private SLPs, you know, sort of as part of that. So we would connect with them and try to all get on the same page and, um, work together but you know this is it, it is another challenge of working in these classes um, collaborating with this you know in our internal teams and the other people that support them within the school board but also the external service providers because mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of people involved often with these students to the extent that their parents you know are having a hard time keeping straight who's who and what what they do (laughs) so yes but we do try to connect with um with families with community service providers but our focus is communication in the classroom
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right um you i'm wondering
0: about I'm thinking about you know how much contact you're having, right so i uh you mentioned observations you mentioned month monthly meetings you may not have said monthly, but uh, regular meetings and you mentioned office hours. so you know how much contact are you having with kids? how flexible uh, is it that that teachers can call when they need sort of thing how how does that work? Right.
1: So yes, yeah, so we do have monthly team meetings with each teacher. And that would be with um, the SLP, the teacher consultant, the classroom teacher, and sometimes the principal is there as well in those meetings. So, you know, like I said, we're carrying a caseload of, of 26 classes per FT. So that actually takes a lot of time um, to have those meetings, you know, where in and out of classrooms observing or or sort of demonstrating or doing some in-classroom stuff several days a week. The office hour piece is more for our lower support classrooms, where we don't have those monthly meetings, and we don't, we're not to sort of really have that dedicated support to those classes, but we are available through these office hour consultations, and also to make external referrals, because that's another large piece of our role is making referrals to our local augmentative communication clinic for students who, whose parents want to pursue that support and to school-based rehab for students who have um, articulation or, you know, other speech needs and require that and, and are eligible for that direct support.
0: Mm. So yes. Yeah. So the office hour, uh, you know, if you were going to make a, a, Perfect picture of what it could look like, right? So, uh, is it a drop in kind of thing for teachers, or and what would it and how would it happen? How does it happen? And
1: what kinds right. so, of questions you get? Okay, so for those lower support classes that we don't have the dedicated support for on an ongoing basis, those office hours that the teachers um, can schedule those office hours with us to talk, and that's on the usually on a no names basis to talk with us about a student and then it might go on to a referral, but you know we start with a no names basis. So that's our lower support classes that we don't have the dedicated support for. For our um, um higher support classes that we we do have that regular support for, we encourage the teachers to reach out to us and have that direct contact with us um you know at, at, whenever they want kind of thing, we encourage them to, you know, reach out with questions and, you know, looking for, for further support. And I mean, this has been one benefit of doing more virtual um, work is, you know, we're finding that, you know, now that we've all become very familiar with how to use (laughs) um, in our case, Google meets, um, you know, that, it's, it's, it's very easy to schedule a little 20 minute check-in with a teacher. The teacher can reach out and say, so I tried this, your suggestion, and I'm running into this issue, or I tried this in these way beyond that. And, you know, what do we do next? And that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, we do have that regular ongoing contact. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's those discussions in meetings, even in office hours that drive Uh, when you decide it's time to go in and observe what's going in the classroom?
1: Yes. So we would go in and observe if the teacher has a question and if we're not already familiar with the student, like, Mm -hmm. so, you know, are we following up on something? Then we may not need another observation because we already know the student and the classroom Mm -hmm. program well. So it's new students or some, because students sort of go in and out of, um, Like we keep their files open, but we may be sort of providing more suggestions for them at some points in time and then things go along and, you know, maybe... We're not getting any questions about them. We have the monthly meeting check-ins and everything's going fine. But then if something comes up, they get a new communication device or, or the, the teachers notice they're talking more. And well, you know, what, what would be the next steps, you know, uh, for this student? Then we would, you know, go and do another observation and, and then provide those suggestions based mm-hmm. on the observation. Mm-hmm. At times we do do standardized testing, but not that frequently because typically these students, aren't really able to engage in standardized testing. So it's it's mostly observation and informal assessment that we're doing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you could see a child, um, I guess, a, a few times a term or uh, would there be times when you might see someone even more frequently than that? Is that or talk about, I guess, not necessarily in the classroom, but have a consultation
1: around a particular child? In, in our monthly meetings for these low support classes, we typically talk about every student in the mm-hmm. class. So so we are touching base, but it may not be, you know, the the, the issues may not be around communication right. at that right. point. Mm-hmm. So, but we're always, you know, sort of listening. So the teacher might say, okay, and now let's talk about this student. Well, this is the issue or, you know, growth or whatever we're seeing with the student. And then we would jump in and say oh that sounds like there might be a communication um you know there might be something communication related associated with that so you know have you tried this or maybe I should come in and do an observation so yeah it's very individual it's very sort of you know depends on what's happening in the classroom we have to be very sort of responsive to the needs and which are always changing so we may be in you know a few times, you know, within a shorter period of time. And then it may, then we may not actually physically be in the classroom, but we would still have those ongoing meetings and check-ins. Right. For, so
0: that, that does kind of minimally, monthly you'll be touching base on, exactly. on all the students. Yeah. Yes. And all of those students would be on in that, those classrooms would on the high support classrooms would be on your caseload.
1: Yes. They're all, or they're all at least, sort of eligible to be on my caseload and they typically put in the students IEPs you know speech language pathology pathologist available on a consultative Mm -hmm. basis Mm -hmm. um yes I mean we do we do open files for students you know when you know we're obviously if we're going to go in and observe them and provide that, that that consultation and then we keep the files open so we yes, so then we're available to provide that support for mm-hmm. any of the students in the class.
0: Mm-hmm. Based it's very on the late, students. late in our discussion to ask you, but how many students would be in these classrooms?
1: So there's a range of uh, students for the for the high support classrooms between six and twelve, depending on the age and profile mm-hmm. of the student. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, you
0: said you followed uh, some, perhaps through their their school careers. Is that uh, are they going right up to high school uh, yes. in those classrooms?
1: Yes, yes. I mean, they would they would change classrooms as they move through different, you know, like sort of um, you know elementary, middle school, and then a high school classroom. But mm-hmm. yes, they would once they've entered the a program, which, like I said, does not lead to a high school diploma, it leads to a certificate of achievement, they would typically stay within that program Mm -hmm. and just change classrooms based on their age um, until they're 21, because the students are eligible to be in school until they're 21.
0: Right. And Mm -hmm. some of those high support classrooms could be in high schools, could be in middle schools, could be in elementary
1: Yes, yes. So they're sort of sprinkled, you know, throughout the schools Mm -hmm. Um, in our system. Some schools may have more than one class. We have some schools that have two classes. Um, Others, it's just one of these ACE classrooms in the school. Mm -hmm. And then we do have a a high school program where it's a sort of a, a standalone. School. Well, it's a wing of a high school, mm-hmm. um, but a standalone wing for um, the students with very high support needs mm. at the high school level.
0: So is it like in in, in often in school based SLPs, we have a, a focus of our services in those primary grades and then it, it fades. But are these uh, high support classrooms sort of reassessed and they might be just as likely to be in high school as any other grades in, in the case of York? your service?
1: So you mean, yes. So we provide service regardless of the age of the student Mm -hmm. to these ACE classes. Yes. So So there could be just as
0: many high support, high school classrooms as elementary classrooms.
1: Yes. I mean, there tend to be more elementary Mm -hmm. classrooms because often the high school classrooms have more students per classroom Mm -hmm. in them. But Mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. Our support encompasses the full age range of, of the students. And like you say, that is that is different than most of our colleagues so most of our colleagues don't really even go to well if there's an intermediate you know standalone school or high schools Mm -hmm. except you know for you know particular reasons but but we're in them yeah on a more regular basis yeah
0: well uh what is any challenges you're working on right now uh, as you develop your your
1: service well, like, I mean, there's the, you know, the ongoing challenge and the work in progress of, you know, the consultative model. And, and I think I maybe touched on a little bit before the, 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 the challenge of collaboration, mm-hmm. um, both internally and with external service providers. And we're, again, this is another work in progress. We're always trying to sort of get those lines of communication working better. Internally, you know, there's, you know, this the teacher consultants who are involved. There's um, behavior management systems, uh, personnel, there's ABA, you know, BCBAs who provide support to these classes and it's, you know, everybody has different service models and they have different amounts of time to, to devote to their roles in these classrooms. And, so it's an ongoing challenge to, you know, just make sure that we're keeping the lines of communication open. We're setting priorities. Um, we're not overwhelming the teacher with, mm-hmm. with too much at once, or even, you know, maybe sort of different things at, at once that don't mesh together very well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's an ongoing challenge. And then of course, like I say, there's all the external service providers as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, ABA providers externally through the OAP and um, developmental service, you know, people who who are involved, you know, a variety of people supporting these families. So that's an ongoing challenge. Um, And and a lot of it just has to do with time and schedules and and, and that type of thing. But uh, yeah, we keep Trying, We keep trying to have meetings about these kids and share priorities and, you know, kind of delineate, you know, who's who's going to take the lead on, you know, which issue that we're dealing with. But uh, it's definitely a work in progress. <laughs> yes.
0: Do you have a piece of advice you could give uh, if, if someone was starting out in this kind of service model, this kind of program?
1: I I think I'd go back to, you know, take time to develop relationships mm-hmm. with the teachers. That is the thing that will take you the furthest in this role, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and respect, you know, that the, their priorities might not always be the same as your priorities and that they are the ones who are frontline with these students day, day in, day out. So, you know, I think it really behooves us as SLPs, you know, to sort of, really come to understand their world more than they're going to come to understand our world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. Mm You know, as I'm listening to you talk uh, here, Helen, I'm thinking that this might be a bit of an isolating job, right? It sounds like you're doing something different than s- many of your colleagues are doing. You know, you're doing something different than your educators are doing. So how do you know, I'm thinking about the you know, I know there's a couple of you who do this survey. I'm thinking about how do you support one another uh, in in this kind of work? Right. We,
1: and we do talk a a lot, the, the, the three of us that do do this role, and we do provide each other with a lot of support because, you know, we're working, I mean, we're working with different teachers, but we're working with the same teacher consultants. So we have a lot of sort of points of, of, of contact there. And we're working with some of the same challenges and, and frustrations around, you know, like, well, this is the situation, you know, like what would you do here? Cause I was thinking of doing this, but I'm not sure it makes sense kind of thing. So we are, we do sort of support each other very well. Um, and it is very, very valuable to have that support because we are doing something different from the majority of our colleagues which, you know, can can be isolating. But, you know, at the same time, you know, it's it, it sort of, allow, you know, you, you then don't, I mean, I appreciate that they have frustrations as well. And some of those frustrations aren't as much of a thing for, for us. So pros and cons always, <laughs> but we do lean on each other very heavily to um, provide that support and just sort of get another set of ears and, you know, think about, you know, and it it enriches your practice, I find too, because you may go in a certain direction, and you hear that somebody else might do something a bit different. Oh, I hadn't thought of that, you know, I I can try that too. Mm -hmm. So, mm
0: -hmm. well, that's great. Helen, I want to thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today and telling us about the work that you're doing.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been lots of fun.
0: Thank you for listening to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. You can find all podcasts, transcripts, and links to the episode resources on the SAC website. That's at sac-oac.ca. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or you'd like to suggest a guest, please email the host, Lisa Archibald, at at uwo.ca. That's L-A-R-C-H-I-B-A at uwo.ca. You can listen to our podcast on all of the major podcast servers. If you liked this episode, be sure to give it a thumbs up on your platform and share it through your social media and other channels.